Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We've got a special guest today, Bruce Feldman, uh, great reporter covering college football for The Athletic and also Fox Sports. Follow him on Twitter at Bruce Feldman and CFB has joined the show. Keely, yours on vacation. Bruce is pinch hitting for Keely, and we're going to get some insights on the Pac-12 and USC and college football across the nation. Bruce, thanks for uh, coming on today. Oh, I got big shoes to fill, so let me see what I'm up to. <laughs> you're a Keely, you're a fan. She does a good job. She needed a vacation. I don't think she had a vacation in a couple of years. No, I am a Keely fan. And okay. that is crazy if she has not had a vacation in a couple of years. You are a bad boss. I, I'm the slave driving boss. Uh, well, we got Bruce for a limited time, so I'll give you all the uh, info about how to get a hold of us uh, a little bit later on in the show. But I think we got to start off with some big news in the Pac-12 we heard last week. That uh, the Pac-12 commissioner search is over. It was four months. Uh, George Klyavkov, uh, so he was the president over at uh, for sports and entertainment at MGM uh, in Las Vegas. He's now the commissioner of the Pac-12. Certainly, a lot of people you know had to Google his name when when he was hired. Uh, some of the national pundits uh, talking about it being uh, out of the box, or I think I, I think Pat Forty called it out of the universe or out of the solar system. Hire. What did you get your initial thoughts on uh, when they hired uh, Klyavkov? You know, I didn't know really what to make of it other than usually when you have a change, especially in college athletics, especially if somebody's forced out, you don't replace the person with somebody who seems like the person they just they just uh, got rid of. Meaning Larry Scott, which, you know, obviously that tenure ended really poorly after this run. Larry Scott was seen as a big outsider from college athletics. That was not where he had been working. He didn't have much experience in it or any, you know, other than when he was a collegiate athlete. And Klyavkov, again, similarly, you know, he was, I think, a college rower, but he did, you know, he is an outsider. Now, the things I had heard from people who were privy to the process did think there was some, some uh, were very impressed by what he had done in ushering some big companies through major times of change. Obviously right now, college athletics is in the throes of major change. So that part at least is promising. And I did think Ryan just being on his zoom call uh, with the media and his press conference, uh, you know, for whatever it was an hour, he's, he's what he said and how he approached it was at, you know, he probably made as good a first impression as he possibly could have. Yeah. And, you know, he talked about going on a listening tour around basically because one of the challenges, I think, and this isn't just like a commissioner's thing. This could be an anything thing in any line of work. But it's like the people who don't know what they don't know often fail or can't get out of their own way. And I think that was an issue, certainly with Larry Scott at times. And. You know, he seemed to have a real awareness to that in his answers and what he said. So um, let's see what he does and let's see, you know, I mean, I, I don't think for all the shortcomings with Larry Scott, 
a, a lot of it was not his own fault. You know, I think it could you could have had uh, any of the commissioners in there if they were running the Pac-12 when USC, the flagship school, was couldn't get out of its own way. I think it was going to be a big problem. Yeah. Uh, I I, well, I thought it was refreshing just the way he did address some of those problems head on. I didn't feel like he was throwing Larry Scott under the bus, but coming out and saying things like, you know, football, football is important. Uh, we got to do. Yeah. All those other sports are great. We got to do good at football um, and basketball. I thought that made a lot of sense. And he came out re- early and said, we want the college football playoff expanded. And I do the podcast of champions show. You know, my co-host David Woods is not a fan of expansion. A lot of our listeners uh, from like the Pacific Northwest aren't. Um, I think a lot of USC fans seem to be in favor of it. You know, I've I've been someone that's been a proponent of that. What are your thoughts on expanding the playoff? That's what you know Klyovkov wants to do. Do you think that ultimately would be good for the Pac-12? Um, I think it would be good for the Pac-12. I do. I think they need something to give them more of more. I don't say more points of interest but if you think about it this way you know a lot of games that take last year out just because it was such a crazy year for a lot of reasons but if you'd say you know the game between a couple of two lost pac 12 teams that could have play you know like yeah it probably matters for the conference title race but it has no other implications usually for the rest of college football and i think that could make it matter more and i think it just keeps potentially more teams engage for it where it's like, um, you know, it's national title or bust for a lot of people. And I think once bust happens and, you know, like that USC team that Sam Darnold was a quarterback um, where they beat Penn state. I mean, that was a fun ride. It would have been, I think, and I'm, I, you know, I'm not looking at it right now to see what their schedule was, but I just think it, it gives it the potential to make things a little more interesting if a team gets on a roll or something. And I just, I don't know. To me, I think there's way more positives than negatives. If you want to say the biggest negative of expanding the playoff would be the health risks of players because it extends a schedule. I get that. That is, that is to me, the biggest concern. Beyond that, I think the other things are more manageable. The, uh, a lot of the critics, at least from when we talk on the Pac-12, would talk about, well, if you have like a two-loss team that's just not playoff worthy, they're just going to be, uh, you know, a doormat for Alabama or something in the first round. Is that ultimately going to be even worse for the Pac-12 than not making the playoffs at all? What do, what do you think about that? I mean, you got to be in it to win it, right? And you give yourself a chance. I mean, this way now, like if you struggle out of the gate a little bit, but you get rolling then maybe you have a chance. I mean, I, you know, again, I, I use this example of that USC team that started out one and three, right? You know, like, now granted, they, they lost to three ranked teams. They got destroyed by Alabama. Who knows what would have happened if they had played, you know, a top four team, but they beat a top five team, yeah. you know, in the Rose Bowl. I mean, USC fans, like you, like to me, you know, again, one in three is a rough start, but that to me is the is the ideal window. It took a little while for it to find itself. You know, look, you have freshmen who get a lot better. They had one that got a lot, lot better. Um, I don't know, man. I think that to me, that's the biggest argument. Now, look, they barely beat Penn State, and that was a good Penn State team, obviously with Saquon and Trace McSorley. But I think about that year, and I'm like, you know, 
I don't think they're getting boat raced by anybody at that time of year. What they look like at the beginning of the year was very, very different in 2016 to what look they look like at the end of the year when they found themselves. I mean, you know, certainly the, you know, I remembered and granted the semifinal game, you know, Alabama played Michigan state. I had seen that Michigan state, you know, team in person, you know, they were the number three seed and it, it was a blowout at the end. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a blowout from jump, but it, it turned into one in a hurry, like, I guess, late second quarter, third quarter. But, I mean, you're talking about the number three seed got beat 38 to nothing. Yeah. Um, like, that USC team, I don't know what USC was ranked then. They, they, whatever they would have been ranked going into the – you probably would know this better than me. I know um, – I think they were a fringe top 10 team. So maybe they, I don't know if they would have gotten in if the, I'm looking at it now, they were number nine going into the game. If there are eight, eight spots, maybe they're not getting one of those eight spots, depending on how they sort out the playoff. They definitely were one of the, one of the most dangerous teams. And again, I'm not saying they were good enough on defense to, to, uh, to beat Alabama or Clemson, but they would have given them a way better game than they did uh, at Jerry Jones stadium in September for sure. Yeah. Hundred percent. Um, other news that came out Pac-12 this week: the interconference transfer rule was eliminated. Basically, you could transfer within the conference and not have to sit out a year with the the transfer portal. Just you know, being its own kind of recruiting cycle right now that's going year round. Basically, um, thoughts on that is you know, and what other conferences are doing the same thing that this is like the Pac-12 catching up or leading in this area. Uh, I think it's catching up. It's an optics thing. Look, you have little, this goes on, I feel like in a lot of conferences and people are familiar with the, with the, with the, I don't know if I had to put it, just kind of like the tone deaf kind of move where somebody's blocking another player from within the league. You often hear like the whispers of, oh, so-and-so tampered with this player. That's at the root of it. Um, I don't know. I just feel like football coaches never win the, um, the, you know, like how this looks beyond it, you know, coaches can move, assistant coaches can move and yeah, there are contracts, but I just think in this day and age, it's just like, just if the kid doesn't want to be there for whatever reason, just let it ride out and, and, um, you know, don't be forced into it. But now obviously they're going to take their cues from the NCA and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. So that's a big rule change from the NCAA. The other one that we're kind of waiting on, the NIL, right? Name, image, and likeness. Every state's doing something. It's uh, all over the place. You know that, uh, you know, when we talked about George Klyovkov, you know, that's going to be a, an important part of this using the West Coast, using the LA base, you know, San Francisco, Vegas, whatever it is to help, you know, market these players and give, the, you know, an advantage there. Do you, do you think something's coming uh, with NIL from, you know, Congress or the NCAA, or I don't know how this is going to play out, but it just seems like there's so many people weighing in on it. I don't know how it comes together and has like one rule. I don't know. I mean, it, it's so, you've got a bunch of stuff going on right now. Like, obviously, I'm sure everybody you've talked to at USC is going to talk about how, you know, chaotic that the recruiting world is going to be um, in the month of June, which is pretty close. And there's just so many other things that are kind of seem like they're about to hit. And the NCA is leading in quotes from behind on the NIL issue, and they're waiting to see where this goes. You know, the state of Georgia put in some rules where I don't know if Georgia and Georgia Tech are going to like 
adopt those policies, but they can take up to 75%. I, you know, I just reading it going like, you know, this, this just seems really dubious on a lot of levels, how people are trying to manage it. And, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm fascinated to see where it goes, who's able to, who's able to, to, uh, leverage it as best as possible you know like i mean i don't know about a year ago this time i did a story with reggie bush um about just kind of what his earning power was what some of the challenges were because obviously you know back then as as your listeners know you know usc was the biggest thing in the sport and reggie especially but matt you know to a large degree too i mean they had big earning power but you could kind of go down the list of players in that program who depending on how the NCA structured NIL, you know, like boosters could say, Hey, we are going to have Oscar Lua come to like, you know, be at my kid's birthday party. We're going to pay him five grand or, you know, whatever. Cause if, if, if you're a top, if you're a, if you're, if you're a player who's like a starter or solid contributor for USC, you know, and the team is riding high, then potentially like, Hey, the community they came from, you know, that, they could probably, you know, market off that. I mean, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that I think is, needs to be sorted out how that works and how it can translate into, into, um, you know, money for them and for their, and for their families because of what they're contributing and what they're putting in. I mean, it's, it's an interesting rabbit hole to go down as it kind of starts to play out. What a pull there, Oscar Lua. I actually saw him. Uh, I think he's commercial real estate now. I saw him at a golf tournament a couple of months ago. Is so Oscar actually, Lua the one? Is Oscar Lua the former linebacker who you said is like a plus one? Or is that somebody else I'm thinking of? Or is the Dallas plus Stars? One. Uh, maybe Dallas. Uh, Oscar was the guy that was like the starting middle linebacker before Ray Malaluga showed up. And then um, Ray sort of kind of took over. But yeah, he was like a, a pretty good player, but not like the. Five no, I, like kind of, I kind of vaguely remember, no, I definitely remember the names of some of these guys, you know, and I remember, you know, you live here and it's like, you kind of, um, you know, they all kind of cross paths. What was funny was the other day, um, not to get, not to get off track, which I'm about to do, but like I met somebody <laughs> and they referenced, um, they referenced Otani and, I'm like, wow, Bobby Otani. And I just realized, because like, no. <laughs> I was talking to a USC person. And I was like, no, I know, you know, and then I thought about it, I was like, you idiot. It's like, this is obviously like the phenomenal baseball player for the Angels. Right. But I'm thinking about like a linebacker who played for, played for USC, who I guess did a, did the best Coach O impression, you know, oh, 17 yeah. years ago. <laughs> so. Yeah, we got throwing, uh, throwing gas, hitting home runs is crazy, uh, Tani. Uh, but yeah, Keely's a big Angel fan, so she'll, I'm sure, she'll be happy that you mentioned him. Um, for the, real quick for the NIL, it, do you feel like schools like USC and UCLA and major metropolitan areas can take advantage of this over a, a you know, if you're in Ames, Iowa, like it's going to be a little bit different story than if you're in LA. Yeah, I think you probably have have different opportunities potentially. Look, USC has like you know you know great gymnastics program, great other sports. Obviously, you know I think about this knowing a few people who work in the USC track program. I mean, there's so many you know great athletes. I have no idea. Like I I remember a long time ago being in ESPN magazine when Allison Felix was she may have been 18 or 19, but you know like she came they you know she came through our office as some kind of promotional thing. And I was just thinking, you have somebody like that, and I'm not saying there's somebody quite at that level right now, but there's some probably version of like 
you know, her who is a, you know, is a dominant track and field athlete who probably has all sorts of opportunities, just like, um, you know, just thinking about it now as a, as a, you know, parent of a young child, where it's like, if you have somebody who is a great athlete in that sport, um, that they, that there is a huge following that honestly, you or I, and certainly I would, I would have been like a little oblivious to it just cause you, you're so focused on college football, but like in a place like this, where it's such a big population base, you know, there's definitely that um aspect of it you know i mean just thinking about like ucla one of this great basketball run i mean jaime Hawkes and johnny juzang probably have a you know probably have a, a, a their names were hot and i think that's probably something that you can still probably leverage coming out of it um for those universities especially if it's not like you don't go you know, like the Mobleys or somebody who's going to like bounce right to the NBA. And I'm not saying they shouldn't bounce to the NBA because obviously they can make way more money there. But just I think for somebody who's like kind of in the middle ground, that's a that's a lot of opportunity. You know, hopefully if, if you know, as the schools try to manage it and leverage it and help work together with those families. You uh, just talked. Uh, so definitely listen to the Audible uh, uh, over there uh, at The Athletic, the, the great podcast with. Stuart Mandel and uh, Bruce Feldman, but on a recent episode, you were talking about, um, you know, the the way too early top 25 and and Stu had USC, I believe, third in the Pac-12. I think John Wilner picked USC to be third as well. You felt USC was more of a top 25 team. I think I think the Trojans are going to be the favorites in the South, but I wanted to, you know, what's your thoughts on uh, where USC's place in the in the Pac-12 right now? Yeah, I was a little surprised that he had them third. I think you're giving the benefit of the doubt to, you know, if you ask me who's the most proven coach in that division, I would say Kyle Whittingham. He's done a, you know, remarkable job at Utah. And when you're you're not always sure who's going to be there, and I think they're going to be good on defense because it's like every other year they're primed for it. And we'll see how their, you know, how their new quarterback, Charlie Brewer, comes from Baylor. He he was productive at Baylor and he had a good spring, but you know, let's not get too, you know, over our skis with the spring talk. But um, I think with USC, I think quite honestly, like the flip side of Kyle Whittingham, I think USC probably is not getting the benefit of the doubt from some folks. You know, if you ask me, Keaton Slovis should have a really big year as long as he stays healthy. You know, you got Drake London's a go-to guy and they brought in a bunch of transfer skill guys. I don't know if, how good they're going to be on the O line. I think Clay McGuire's got his work cut out for him. Um, I, I think they have enough talent to be a top 10 team. It's just, you always feel like USC, like I go back to that Arizona game. I mean, that was a really bad team that they had their hands full with and it didn't look all that fluky. It just looked like, Whoa, you know, like <laughs> just, I don't, I don't know. And then you take that team, as much as they struggled, then you're taking out the guy who I thought was their best player on defense, Talano Vanga. He's not there anymore. You take out a couple of defensive linemen who I think if they had stayed for 2021, I think if things, you know, kept developing, they could have been top 50 picks and they ended up going, you know, quite a bit later. Um, it's not to say they do, you know, Drake, you know, Drake Jackson, I think has a chance to be an all American. We'll see what Corey Foreman, how quickly he can hit the ground running. I mean, they have potential difference makers, but, I don't know, you know, like UCLA needs to take a big step forward. I think, you know, Dorian Thompson Robinson has all the talent in the world. He's got to take care of the better, the football better. Um, like, I feel like there's four teams and throw Arizona State in there because we haven't mentioned them. 
that could be really close. I would not be surprised if any one of those four teams won it. It's just on paper, USC to me, like right now, Arizona State hasn't proven to be much more than a seven and five kind of team. Yeah. Right now, as as talented as DTR is tools wise, and I've heard really good things about Zach Charbonnet, who transferred back from Michigan, and I think they have some, you know, they have some guys now in the program who fit well. But I don't, you know, right now they have, since Chip has been there, they have not gotten it going. It, I feel like they're close to doing that, but I felt like that going into last year, and then it was a crazy year. You know, I said what you said about Utah. So to me, right now, USC is kind of the default favorite as you know Slovis is still there I would say if it was a if it was like an unproven quarterback I would think otherwise but it's not he's really talented and I think he can lead and I think he has you know even the guys he lost skill wise I still think they have enough weapons for him to be really dangerous there so to me they're they're the they're my favorite I just don't know I'm I'm not seeing like a playoff contender because I just don't see it on defense at this point I don't see it on their offensive line at this point um, we've got a few minutes left to uh, get you a couple quick ones. Well, maybe hopefully quick, uh, for the FCS, the season just ended. I did. I didn't watch any games. I wanted to, I thought it'd be cool to watch spring football, but they weren't on like the regular TV. Uh, this one was, and then they had a weather delay and I don't think I ended up watching the rest of it. Um, but I, did you feel that it worked that, that season? And then I'm trying to imagine Without that letter to the governor, USC and the Pac-12 are probably going to be playing in the spring. I, I I feel like it would have been a disaster, but I don't know what you thought if the Pac-12 had to play in the spring by themselves. I don't know. I hadn't really thought about that. Like I, I watched a couple of the semifinal games. Like Unfortunately, they did not put those games. Most of the games were not on some form of TV we could watch. You know, and I was not, you know, I don't watch games on online. I'm, you know, I just did not have access to them, so... I think for those programs, it was decent. I, I think, you know, I don't know, disaster or not. I mean, it just, uh, I think it was fortunate the way it worked out. I mean, I don't think any, obviously nobody in the Pac-12 was anywhere near a playoff team anyway. So it got them whatever whatever uh, revenue it added. I think it helped the players at least get some games. But it was just kind of like, you look at some of these teams, Cal, for instance, where it was just, turned inside out i don't know you know i i don't know how much that benefited them to to play the way they did because this you know they're having they had a game canceled like a like an hour a couple hours before kickoff you know it's like i don't know um i don't know i would i don't know how rousing of a success that was to begin with you know um only two bowl games like everyone else opted out you're i mean that's a good point they're it's it's not like it was a super successful season that you you know that there's all these benefits from it was it wasn't that great it either. Was, it wasn't that great either. You know, it's like what, if it went on in the spring and they put it on TV and you're the only you know the, you know like and they put it on TV they didn't put it on ESPN three or whatever like who knows what happens if you're the only one with a chance. I mean, like I said, they weren't playing for the playoff anyway. They you know so. If you're the Pac-12 champ, I mean, it's such a weird hypothetical to go through because then you're also kind of wrestling with the, okay, now we got players that who knows who gets hurt, you know, like this time, you know, the season. Now they're not going to be able to play in the fall. I don't know. You know, it just, I mean, they would have probably been able to have some people in the stands because you and I live out here and there's, you know, we're, 
you know, I mean, we're going to, to events where people don't have to wear masks outside and, you know, like there's activities for kids and stuff. So I, I don't know. I'm not advocating that they should have held off and decided to play in the spring. I'm just, I don't know. It's a weird hypothetical to kind of to go down. Yeah, I was just thinking about it because of the, you know, the FCS season and everything. Obviously, the draft, that would be impacted. Um, you know, who knows? There's, the players that opted out, maybe they don't get as dinged as much. But a guy like Elijah Vera Tucker, probably not going to be a first rounder because he showed he could be a left tackle in that shortened season. So, yeah, it's, I mean, individual players, it might have helped or hurt different ones. Yeah, I don't even know. I mean, you know, like, I, I just feel like for a lot of these guys, like the two guys at Washington who were high, you know, maybe they were top. 40 picks, you know, they, they didn't play and they, they opted out. Obviously, uh, Panay Sewell, I'm not sure he would have, he wasn't going to be the first pick in the draft anyway. So I don't think it impacted him. Um, I just don't know. It's, it's just such a, I, I think you could probably argue it like seven different ways and you probably don't get you anywhere either way. All right. Bruce Feldman doing a great job covering uh, college football all year round, always doing stuff. Uh, but we appreciate you, you spending a few minutes. I know you got a lot going on over there. So uh, thanks for coming on the show. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Always good to see you and to talk to you. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So, what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back here on the Peristall Podcast. Thanks so much for Bruce Feldman for jumping on. We had a limited window, so I wanted to take care of all the other stuff we do at the top of the show uh, right now. So we wanted to get as much, as many minutes as with Bruce as we possibly could. So want to let you guys know if you want to give uh, any questions or comments to the show, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. You can also call or text us at 424-424. Two five four nine one four one. If you're on Apple Podcasting apps anywhere on your iPhone or iPad, whatever, please follow us and leave a five star rating, positive uh, reviews, comments, feedback, suggestions, any questions. We love to hear from you there, and we also love our friends over at Trader Joe. So thanks to to them for being a, a sponsor for the show for the last few years. And we found out on Monday it was Banana Day. So go to TraderJoe's.com. They usually have some cool stuff on there. So I don't know why it was Banana Day, but they said, so I read on their website, um, they had a feel-good letter they got from a customer in Santa Fe, New Mexico, back in 2013, May 17th, uh, They Joe and Josie were, uh, they felt a spark when they bumped into each other at the banana stand at their neighborhood, uh, Trader Joe's. And they're still together to this day, so they celebrate their day. And Trader Joe's decided to call it Banana Day. And they give you a whole bunch of cool uh, banana recipes if you want to. So there's neat stuff like that. Um, Trader Joe's such a great company. We love when they put feel-good stories like that up there. Especially, you know, now there's a lot of weird stuff going on in the world. 
you like to hear about people that met at the banana stand at Trader Joe's, but I do. I get bananas every time I go to Trader Joe's. I always put them in my. Uh, I get some of the uh, granola and some of the yogurt and stuff, and I put it all in there. And I usually cut up bananas and put it in there too. So, but thanks again to Trader Joe's for being a great sponsor. And like I said, thanks to uh, Bruce Feldman. Uh, it was great to talk to him and get some insights. Uh, you know, a little bit of stuff around college football, the Pac-12. And of course, USC, we're going to do some questions to end the show. And we're going to start with our buddy, Jason, with a, um, he's got a voicemail. Hello, this is Jason from Longhorn Country. And this question's for Ryan and Keeley. And so, yeah, so I'm just going to ask uh, five uh, hot take questions and just get your opinion on them this week. So does Keaton return to form? That's the first. The second is, does Keontae lead the team in rushing? The third is, does Gary... Bryant Jr. develop into a deep threat. The fourth is does does Kanaya Malga lead the team in tackle, tackle in, excuse me lead the team in tackles? And then the final question is does Josh Jackson Jr. lead the team in picks? Fight on, Jason Longhorn Country. Wow, Jason, that's a lot too. I had to like write all those down uh, real quick. So let's go through one by one. Uh, I do feel Keaton Slovis is going to return to form. He's got to stay healthy. Uh, they're going to need better play from the offensive line, but I like the work he's done um, with Tom House and that group footwork. Uh, I feel like he's going to, with the offseason, uh, with spring football, he's going to be better. Now, he's got a target on his back. Everyone knows who he is. Um, it's a little different than when he was a freshman and, and he just came off the bench and no one knew who this kid was. They do, but I feel like he's going to return to form. I do believe Keontae Ingram is going to lead the team in rushing. Now he might maybe total yards because he he might have some uh, some some big catches. We saw him like a, with a 49 yard catch and run in the spring game. But with uh, you know, I think him and Vavai are probably be the to two lead backs. But I'm going to go on a limb and say Keontae is going to lead the team in rushing. Uh, as far as Gary Bryant Jr. I feel like there's roles open for the wide receivers and, you know, being that deep threat is one of them, you know, obviously Drake London can do anything, uh, but you want someone that's kind of a, you know, specializes in something. And I think Gary Bryant Jr. in that speed, he could do that. Um, I'd love to see them open it up more and take the top off the defense a little bit. And you definitely open up space for the running game, you know, like we just talked about, but also for a guy like Drake London, um, you know, he's probably going to be double teamed a lot. So if, if Gary Bryant Jr. gets some attention on one side, you got Bruce McCoy, you got Kyle Ford, whatever. But if he's, you know, that deep threat, you kind of take a safety out of the play. Yeah, I think it can help the offense quite a bit. Uh, can I Mauga? I think he, I think that's a good bet. I think he's got a good chance to lead the team in tackles. It's typically a linebacker. I mean, like a, a guy like Drake Jackson could lead the team in sacks, but you know, for a defensive lineman or guy that's playing like there might be tougher to do it in tackle. So I, I think Kanai Malga is a fair bet for that. I, I would go with you there. And then uh, Josh Jackson leading the team in picks. Uh, this is sort of going to be a toss up. Like, is it going to be someone that has like five or six picks on the season? That'd be great. Or is it like, you know, a bunch of guys have one or two and someone sneaks in with three, um, I, I, I like what I've seen from Josh, you know, Josh Jackson, but I'll take the field on this one if I get everybody else. So, uh, I think maybe it'll be somebody else. So, you know, I, to have him, you know, position switch, I think he'll get a couple. I, I think he does seem to, he showed he has a knack for the ball. You've got receiver skills, obviously. 
So yeah, I'll go with, uh, I'll take the field in that one, but good one, Jason. Thanks for sending those in. Uh, we got a question from Don. What are you expecting from Keen Slovis this year? Apparently he's highly regarded on NFL draft sites. Graham's uh, plays should lead to stats. How about wins? Should we expect Slovis to lead USC to a top eight or better ranking this year? So yeah, there's people that are picking Slovis to go uh, like a number two pick of the draft. I think uh, Todd McShay had that. Seems a little um, high for me, but I, like I said in the you know for Jason's question, I do feel like this is something that uh, he's going to play better. He will get good stats. Um, the good question you know Don has will it lead to wins? I think if they're scoring on offense, I think special teams will be better. I think defense will be better. If they're scoring a bunch of points and not just like uh, the, the issue is going to be for me, you get the big plays, right? They're scoring on some huge plays, but then there's like three drives in a row that are clunkers and you turn the ball over once and uh, go three and out when you shouldn't. And, um, you know, you kind of keep teams closer where as opposed to just being like, man, it seems like every drive there's a chunk play and they're picking up yards and maybe they don't score in that one, but they, you know, they got all the way into opponent's territory. They're, you're moving the ball, you're scoring a bunch, but you're not throwing away a lot of drives. And it just seems like this offense sometimes is throwing away some drives. So I think that would be stats might look pretty good and potentially not to wins. You know, you could lose some of those games. You know, Bruce talked about like that Arizona game. Uh, I mean, I want to go back and look at some of those drives, but you're just like, you know, head scratching, like how they didn't score more on a team that's you know currently on a 12 game losing streak. But thanks for that one. Don, this is our buddy Dan, class of 1962, and his dog, Oliver. He says, Oliver gives your podcast five barks. He listens to you along with me. Well, thanks, Oliver. Uh, great discussion about the women's basketball coach and what the hire means for the athletic program. Also, someone who, as someone who saw Cheryl Miller, Cynthia Cooper, and those national championship teams, I'm so glad that the current athletic director respects all sports history at USC. Beach volleyball just won a championship. Uh, women's water polo also won one too. The fact that it was our 131st championship uh, should be a source of pride for all Trojans. Football will always be king at USC, but the other sports do give us uh, the stature that other universities could only wish they had. I would love to hear uh, Ms. Gottlieb interviewed as well as the new water polo coach who was doing a fantastic job as well as other spring sports coaches. By the way, USC's track coach is nationally recognized for being a pioneer in track and field for both men and women's teams, and she wins national championships. My question would be for you, why not highlight other coaches on campus? Fight on and win. Dan, 19, uh, class of 1962. Actually, uh, for I put a request in to interview Gottlieb, and I think we'll try to do something like that. Um, you know, just that's a big name hire coming in from, uh, you know, from the from the NBA ranks and stuff. We don't typically do a ton of that. I think we can do some of it in the offseason. Um, really just for interest, Dan, I mean, there's some people that, that, that care, but a lot of people, they don't even care about men's basketball. Like they just want to hear about football. That's certainly where our bread is buttered, but you know, we, you know, we have no issue celebrating, um, some of the other uh, accomplishments. And, you know, if we can talk to some of the spring coaches, uh, you know, maybe get Dane Blanton on here. I'm a, you know, I like playing beach volleyball myself. Uh, you know, they win a championship. It'd be cool to, to talk to him and, and see how that road has gone. You got one last one from Jeff, uh, his ideas for an off season podcast topics. Um, he says, I love listening to you guys. A few suggestions for pod topics. So I'm going to read these. I don't know if we can, uh, what, what we'll get into, but maybe we'll save some of these for Keeley. So 
who uh, have been your favorite players, coaches to cover over the years? And what do you enjoy most about covering the football team in USC? That's tough. I mean, there's been so many good ones. Um, a lot of great players, just a lot of fun guys to talk to. Um, you know, Lawrence Jackson back in the day was definitely one of uh, my favorites, but there's so many of them uh, that have been great. I love Mark Sanchez. He was cool. It felt like a, you know, kind of a bond with him. Um, as far as enjoying most about covering the team, I mean, I love just the, the sort of, I don't know, I get to see players when they're in high school, like finding their way. We cover them in high school. And then to see them get offers and we put film up of them and we interview them. And then, you know, if they end up at USC or end up somewhere else and you kind of follow their careers and you're like, wow, you know, I, I remember him when he was 16 years old. And then to see him go on like to the NFL um, and, you know, obviously I feel old as you see these players go all the way through, but there's been a lot of, you know, generations, I guess, of players that have come through, uh, you know, generations of like their football careers, not of like you know, being a different generation, but they're, you know, you saw him in high school, you saw him in college and you see him in the NFL and then maybe move on um, to the sports media, like, like a Matt Liner or whatever, or, uh, you know, like Mark Sanchez, we just mentioned. Uh, you know, all those guys, you know, Matt Barkley still around, but you know, I remember covering him at, in San Antonio and interviewing when he was 16 at the army all American game, you know, I mean, there's to see to see that. And then, you know, get to speak with some of these guys at events or at different media things, like all that stuff is pretty cool. Um, is the head coaching job at USC more attractive today than it was before Mike Bones arrival? And where would you rank it? Um, that's a good question. I would say. I don't know if I should be answering all these, but yeah, we'll just do it. Um, yeah, I think it's more attractive today than it was uh, because of the support that's going to be around the head coach. But I think if it's it wasn't going to be dinged significantly historically, I still think it's a top five job in the nation. And having a better athletic director only helps that. So, uh, I mean, certainly they've been floundering for a while, but um, having an actual competent athletic director who's going to support the head coach, the infrastructure he's already put in place makes it a more attractive job. Uh, but the tradition and all of that and how just being decent at your job, you can be a playoff type team at USC. That's a huge appeal. If you were Mike Bone, is there any circumstance in which you would consider leaving the Pac-12? What would those circumstances be? Um, I think you should always consider stuff like that um, because USC is the big dog and they would have the most leverage of a team leaving. If Oregon State threatened to leave the Pac-12, they're not going to have the same kind of pull as if USC did. So if you feel like you're not being treated fairly, if you feel like you're carrying way more of the weight, um, then yeah, I think that's something that you could consider. And, uh, you know, but yeah, that I think you have to use every tool in your toolbox and that could be one of them if you want to get some, uh, some better treatment. Uh, will USC be undefeated going to the Utah game? And will they be 6-0 and the head to Notre Dame? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I'm not sure where the loss is going to happen, but I feel like, you know, I, I feel like it's going to be like a one-loss team going into Notre Dame um, and, you know, maybe lose one of those early ones. So one or two lost teams. I, I kind of feel it's an 8-4 and four type of season for whatever reason, even though I, I don't feel like that's, I think they should be undefeated going into that game, but that's, you know, I'm not convinced that that's going to be the case, but. Yeah, we'll see. 
And then uh, bring Dan Weber on for a guest appearance. Would love to. I actually got a call from Dan uh, when the Pac-12 hired their commissioner. I got to give him a call back. But um, I think, yeah, later in the offseason, you know, Dan's been settled, uh, you know, outside of Cincinnati. So I think it'd be a good opportunity to uh, get Dan on. So hopefully we can do that. All right. Well, that'll wrap things up. Uh, thanks again to Bruce Feldman for coming on. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening uh, to our little show. We'll get Keely. Keely, you'll be gone actually next week, too. So maybe we'll get another special guest uh, to come on the podcast. Uh, so it was great that Bruce came on. He did that on short notice. So we appreciate him doing that. If you have any ideas, you can send them to us, post them on the Peristyle and stuff. And uh, we'd love to get a cool guest on and uh, do some, some fun podcasting while Keely is gone. Not that we can't when Keely's around, but you know, she's gone. So we'll, we'll try to fill the void with uh, some other people, but that's uh, let's go wrap things up. I am your host, Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique interesting and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 